Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 77. Chaz, as always, and accompanied with me here is the crew. Richard, how are you? Hey, everyone, what's up? Seth, how's it going? Doing pretty well. How's it going, Chaz? Richard? It's going well. Our first uh, episode of the full set review is up on the MTG Goldfish YouTube channel, so go check it out. Shameless plug right there, but it was really awesome. If you want more of Seth and I talking about Eldritch Moon, so go. You should go check it out. It was it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was definitely a lot of fun. I always have fun doing the set reviews, so hopefully everyone enjoys them. I think uh, I think people will. Yep, uh, and we'll continue to talk uh, about it here, a more meta general. Now that we got the full set spoiler in front of us, we have Richard here. We're all going to give our takes. So the docket is full Eldritch Moon spoiler. We're going to talk a little bit about the TCG player announcement and changes coming to TCG player over the course of, uh, I guess, the next few months, whenever they decide to roll out these next changes. But uh, there's some immediate changes we want to address that, and then we have fish mail to address. So, I guess without further ado, let's just kind of jump right in. I want to get both of your takes. I, I already know at least most of what you're going to talk about, Seth. Uh, so, <laughs> but I really want Richard's take on the full spoiler of uh, Eldritch Moon now that we have it all in front of us. What do you think, Richard? I think the set is awesome. I don't think much has changed since last week. Uh, we got a couple more rares, and I think the last mythic. And then we got all the commons and uncommons. And the set is still really powerful and people are brewing. Uh, I personally have been trying to make modern spirits into something, but it's not, no. go- it's not going too well. Uh. But, but it's exciting. It's exciting to, to think about legacy and modern in the context of a new set, which you usually don't get to when a new set comes out. So because it's super powerful this time, uh, we get a lot of cards and... One of my favorite cards is the new Black Divination, Instant Speed. It's, it's just these like things they keep throwing us. I don't, I don't know what they're doing, but they've gone crazy. They've given us all these powerful cards, and when they reel it back in the next block, it's going to be very, very sad as, as we sit there with like four mana uh, lightning <laughs> strikes or something. It's, it's going to be bad, but for now, <laughs> we will rejoice in the new power level and uh, play some OP cards. Yeah, let me ask you real quick, Richard, because uh, Seth and I talked about this when we were doing the set reviews we were going through. It's almost like a continuation. Well, it is a continuation of Shadows Over Innistrad, but in particular, like you look at a lot of, I guess in this case, the rares and like the mythics, but even like some of the innocuous like commons and uncommons, and it doesn't feel like any one card is like per- like seriously bad. Like you kind of can see where it has some kind of use in some context where it could be good. Like, I don't think we ever said, like, I guess it's been a while since we can say that definitively about like two sets in a row like this. I don't know if you got the same like kind of take as that, but it, it kind of felt like as we were going through and talking about each rare mythic, it's like, yeah, some of them are not as powerful, but there's not like any one really bad rare other than like maybe like the intro pack rares and I guess like Providence, but yeah, Providence <laughs> is always a standout, but we had Archangel's Light to, in the original. But I, I think you're right. The the bulk rares are situationally good, which is what I think uh, you know, indicates really strong design, right? There, There is some situation where I can conceive that this would actually be very strong and useful, 
and that lets you brew and that makes lets you make all kinds of new decks and synergies so i think uh the development here is actually really really good whereas yeah the card may not be good for this standard but there if things were different it could be good you know kind of like underworld cerberus turns out it sucks but you can see that in a Ah. world it's really good (laughs) right and like almost all of the cards are like that uh in the shadows you know there there is no what is the bulk mythic there is no bulk mythic right they're they're right. all situationally good and interesting, so I, I think uh, bulk is more of a price thing rather than kind of power level or usability in this set. Right. I'm still trying to see if uh, Underworld Cerberus is ever going to be <laughs> a card. <laughs> oh, that was a dagger right there. But no, I I, I totally agree, Seth. Uh, I just kind of want you to chime in on just the full set now that you've got to sit down and look at everything. Is it, are you kind of feeling where Richard and uh, you know we kind of discussed this again? Is that kind of where you're landing? Yeah, I think this set is very strong, kind of off the charts compared to recent sets in terms of power level. And my biggest reasoning for it was something that Richard touched on: is the normally the rares i don't know 30 to 50 in a set are cards that you can just immediately write off as far as really doing anything but in this set those like the bottom half of the rares which normally you just completely forget about have a lot of really interesting designs to the point where you think that they could maybe do something so there's very few rares in the set that when you look at it you're like okay that's just completely unplayable anywhere And then on the other end, the top 10 rares and mythics are all cards that seem like they really have potential to either be very good in standard or potentially be very strong in modern. Uh, Eldritch Evolution, Splendid Reclamation, uh, obviously uh, some of the angels, uh, Thalia. So it's a really off-the-charts power level in the set, and I'm very excited to actually get to start playing these cards. It seems like... Uh, It wasn't that long ago we were talking about how Standard has been so powered down and we weren't getting any good cards. And it's one of those silical things where, yes, that happens and Wizards powers things down. But then you get a set like this and the power level shoots right back up. So I'm definitely excited to start exploring these cards and I can't wait to start playing with them. Yeah, me too. Uh, So. I agree with everything both of you have said. So here's some two... Wait, I wrote down two really important questions for both of you. And I touched on one of them on social media. It was actually kind of funny. but So two questions then. That all being said, it's a really powerful set and all that. Does it change the landscape of standard? Mainly standard, because that's really what we're talking about. There's a We talked about a few cards here and there that will probably show up in other formats but not, we're primarily looking at standard here as as powerful as it is does it shake up standard and after the first week so question two after the first week like first star city games open what x deck are we already going to be sick of like are you are you looking at any particular archetype or strategy and you're saying man I, that's going to be really strong and i'm probably going to get bored of it really quickly Richard. White. <laughs> so I, I I forgot who said this on Twitter, but someone said, it's okay that R&D printed all these powerful cards, but did they really need to make them all bant, right? Which are the powerful, you know, the existing standard, those are the powerful cards. I think in this weekend's uh, SCG Warchester 
the the standard 14 of the 15 top decks were white and the last one had white in the sideboard so i i don't know that black or red got enough to unseat the current champions and i think white just got stronger i don't know that spirits is enough of a deck to get away from the human synergies so i think we'll just be seeing green white or white or bant decks and they'll just be stronger than ever with the new thalia with the new tamiyo uh, with the new gisela and they'll just continue on their merry ways gideon is still a good card nissa is still a good card archangel avison is still a good card sylvan advocate played literally in every deck is a good card so i i don't know that the metagame will shift but maybe we get some weird synergistic deck maybe a zombie deck comes out i don't know but right now white is definitely the forerunner and i i think it's going to continue hmm seth what do you think uh well as far as the decks we're going to be sick of i'm kind of along with richard picking the same decks i think that green white tokens the various bant company decks those decks are so far ahead of everything else right now that i just I expect that when we have the first big tournament, those decks, maybe with some new additions, seeing some new cards here or there, but those archetypes, I think, will still be at the top of the format. On the other hand, I'm a big believer in the potential of Spirits and Standard. I really think that Spirits can be a Tier 1 deck and possibly even be the best deck in the format. But as far as a massive shift, even though these cards are so powerful... The other colors are just so far behind white and white-green at the moment that I'm not expecting a major change until this fall when Collected Company rotates, and that, I think, will probably be a bigger change. The good news is, uh, as crazy as it sounds, we don't even have uh, Eldritch Moon yet. We're, like, two months away from Kaladash and rotation. Like, that's how quickly all of yeah. this is happening. So... So that's my take. I expect to see a lot more of the top decks, but I'm really hopeful that Spirits will join them in the top tier of the format. Yeah, I, I think you guys kind of touched on everything that I wanted to ask. Like, and, and I kind of had my own answers to those as well, and I, I think I can go along with where you two went on that. It's really kind of hard to bet against how strong green and white are going to remain to be like and including bant and anything just based around green and white really just how easy it is to splash for cards like tamio how easy it is to just keep playing these these archetypes that already are existing and just kind of add uh, additional things that will end up helping the archetype anyway i'm trying to be optimistic here and i am with you seth that i think spirits if anything is good enough to shake things up a bit and maybe somehow that that changes other things as well but i do think there's enough support now for wizards that or spirits rather that they can muscle their way into at least a 1.5 like tier 1.5 list there's just so many great cards like on curve we talked about like all these cards like the one drop you still have rattle chains you have the nibbles of frost which is like an intro pack rare but it's actually like really good and then you have like just a bunch of really interesting cards like out of the sideboard to deal with a couple things too so i don't know i i'm remaining hopeful for spears but i am kind of in the same wheelhouse of green and, and white definitely got the most out of this set in addition to the rest of the sets before this uh since like battle for zendikar i'm just trying to be hopeful here but it's kind of hard when you look at 
some of the mythics and just some of the raw power of like the uncommons and commons and you're like uh man like why did they print this like for white and green and or bl- uh blue i guess at this point and black and red still kind of just bringing up the rear I don't know if this counts as a new deck, but I think the best deck in the format, or one of the best decks, could literally be Mono White Jund. Like, just play yeah. all the best white mid-range creatures in removal, throw in a couple Planeswalkers, just white good stuff. And I think that could literally be one of the better decks in the format, just because all of yeah. those cards are so strong on their own. Just like uh, in a Jun deck where every card you play is uh, such a high power level. So uh, I don't know if that counts as new, but I could see that happening. Uh, yeah, and I, it's kind of crazy because I agree with you. So Mono White Jun is basically Mono White, right? Because <laughs> the removal yeah, yeah. declaration in Stone and Stasis there. And then all your big beaters are the white creatures. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think actually it's going to be green-white mid-range. It's kind of like the old standard where every deck started with Deathmith's Raptor and Den Protector. If you want to go grindy, every deck starts with Sylvan Advocate, Dustwatch Recruiter, and Tireless Tracker. Those are your best creatures on curve and your best sources of card advantage, all neatly in this little package. And then you just throw white for the, the better creatures and removal, right? And then black yeah. and... Black and red, you don't need those. They don't provide any reach. No, you're or, right. They don't provide any burn or reach or removal or anything, right? Yeah, it's a shame too because I thought red got a, it got a, a lot more help than it has, but it's still like it just seems like to fall short to white in terms of like an aggressive list as well. Like it just still seems like why would I stop playing humans and suddenly play like a red based aggressive list that's probably still worse. Yeah, all the red creatures are just terrible. The white creatures just vastly are better, and there's no reach in red right now. The the burn is too expensive, so there really is no reason to kind of play the classic mono-red aggro deck that's in basically every standard except the standard. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I hate to be doom and gloom. I want to be proved otherwise. I, I'd really like that, but it's just hard when... You look at just everything, like even even like the little innocuous cards, like permeating mass is still green. It's like, why? <laughs> like, I'm just waiting for the pro tour. Like, deck of the tournament will be like tree of perdition combo or something. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> off the wall. It's like, oh, I found a turn four combo with standard guys. <laughs> I can put it together. So I'm hoping something like that happens. Or yeah, maybe where Emerical, we just get blown Emerical off our Ramp. feet with like black red gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe there is, because remember, no one had the mono black devotion deck on their radar, and then it showed up once in the top eight, and then it took over standard forever. So maybe there is some synergy everyone's missing, and uh, it, it will pull through. So I, I think that's a really good place to kind of where we all kind of feel on a meta perspective. I have to kind of close with this, is, and we touched on this in the set review, Seth, it's I mean, we've said this numerous times. I can't state this enough that if, like, this is what we're going to expect now, like, we're we're in the full swing of a two-set block, we still don't have that much data, but I'm on board if it's, if it's like this the whole way through. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely encouraging after kind of a rocky start with Battle for Zendikar to see Shadows Over Innistrad be a really sweet two-set block. So I think we'll know more once we see what Kaladesh looks like this fall. Yeah. And in between that, we still have Conspiracy too. so it's like there's always something going on, which is great for us because we have stuff to talk about. 
Uh, speaking of stuff to talk about, let's talk about the TCG player changes. Uh, you you talked about this a lot, Seth, on Twitter. So why don't you kind of just run us through this? All right. Well, I mean, the big news of this change is TCG mid. One of my most hated things in all of MTG finance is finally going away, and it's being replaced by a new TCG market price, which is representative of cards that have actually sold. So TCG mid, the problem with it from a player's perspective is it represents the the median asking price of sellers, but it doesn't really represent the value that most people can get from their cards. Uh, a better value of what you can get for your cards is something like eBay completed listings, and the new market price is going to be in some sense, similar to eBay completed listings in that it shows how much sellers on TCG Player actually got in real money for their cards. Uh, The problem that we have is, unlike eBay, which you get this huge list of completed listings, we don't really know what data uh, TCG is pulling from. We don't know if it's the last card, the last 10 cards, the last week, the last three months. So there is some confusion over what exactly that new number is going to represent, but hopefully it will be a better representation of how much money you can actually get for your card than TCG mid was. Yeah. And before we started recording the podcast, we were kind of talking about this. I just wanted to get your take, Richard, while it's fresh in your mind. You were talking a little bit of, I mean, we all are kind of in agreement this is a net positive, but you did have some concerns to talk about as well. So I just wanted you to touch on that, Richard. Yeah, uh, Seth kind of touched on it, but uh, I didn't initially have this thought. I initially thought, oh yeah, this is a great thing. But I read on Twitter, uh, someone was complaining that we were moving from a transparent metric to a uh, non-transparent metric, right? Today, you can actually take a look at all the listings, calculate the median, and if it doesn't match what TCG player says, you can call BS on them, or you can actually run your own calculation. Uh, with this new market price, we don't know how they're calculating it. So like Seth said, it could be the last card, it could be the last 10 cards, and that is a big difference for these older cards, right? 10 cards, maybe four months worth of data, right? Or it could be an hour's worth of data. And without knowing that, you don't really know what to do with the price. So I, I don't know that this will do much because in, in 95% of the cases, uh, the marketplace will probably hit TCG low or TCG median for like standard staples, cards that sell really quick. Like there's not going to be a big difference. But for the cards in question, the reserveless buyouts, these cards that sell like once a month or get bought out immediately, what this number represents won't be clear because we don't have the data and you're going to have to do your due diligence anyway. Right, you're gonna have to go look and you know what is this selling for on eBay? How many of these are selling? Uh, you know, is this a buyout and things like that? So in those cases, I don't know that it's gonna help that much. So I, I think uh, it's it's mixed. We're gonna have to see how accurate their their data point is, and we'll we'll make a judgment then. But the fact that we don't know kind of the sales that that go into this number, and we can't deconstruct it and analyze it and you know calculate on our own uh has has some downsides to it thank you i mean that was that's a great take i think we all are kind of in agreement that's like a net positive here it's probably better to be doing like showing showing the data like that i just a couple things that 
I didn't really understand or I thought were a little confusing with this announcement. And I really do appreciate where TCG was going with this. And I understand something has to be in place. But it's just odd because the nomenclature they use was a little weird. Like they kind of they kind of presented it with, with this announcement as like a response to buyouts. Or maybe they just use buyouts as a reason to kind of put this into place faster than they were anticipating because i'm assuming they were working on this for quite some time but i'm sitting there and i'm like well does this actually stop bios it doesn't really stop anything like the data is obviously a little more clear but does it really stop anyone from just going in and like just buying stuff out no so i think you just have to kind of keep that in mind that this doesn't really actually stop like the people that want to go and manipulate the market or or uh, take the time to really target specific cards and be malicious about it and really cause huge price uh, trends. So I don't know. I don't know where you guys felt with that too. I, I just kind of had an issue with the like the general nomenclature that he used as like a response to direct like buyouts like this. Yeah, it doesn't stop buyouts in the sense that I can go buy 500 underground seas right now if I, I wanted to. But it, it does stop the price from spiking on TCG Player, which uh, shows on other sites. Like it shows on Goldfish, it shows on Puka Trade. So a common scam on Puka Trade is to uh, buy out something in TCG Player, and then everyone's uh, the price on Puka Trade will increase, and then uh, they will get sent cards at the increased price, right? So it would stop things like that. Uh, but directly, it doesn't stop buyouts in any way. People can still buy out cards. Uh, people can come and buy out moats and whatever. Uh, it just won't increase the price as much. You know, if you did your due diligence today, you would know that. You would be able to look on eBay and forums and right. whatnot. But if you're just like the common person who doesn't know anything about Magic and you go to TCG Player, then it'll make a difference to you, right? You're not going to see the inflated price. You'll just see the regular price or the slightly increased price. So I think it's for those people that the most impact uh, will be made. Right. It, it kind of just eliminate some of those indiscrepancies and i think it kind of just stops the general like everyone uses that like just goes to tcg player first and if something's like not right there card spike for some whatever reason if car someone bought the like the last card everyone just kind of goes crazy so i think it just stops some of those indiscrepancies there i, I wanted to get your thought on that too seth uh what what uh, richard and i were just talking about yeah, I think the biggest benefit, as Richard mentioned, is for the more like casual or not necessarily financially minded player. If you're someone that's up on MTG Finance and keeps track of that kind of stuff, you probably already know that just because a card gets bought out doesn't necessarily mean... Uh, the price that it jumps to on TCG Mid is its real price in the sense that people are not actually handing over that amount of money to get copies of the card. Uh, but for someone that isn't following that stuff constantly, I think this is a pretty helpful thing. If you go to TCG Player now, they're still going to have the mid price. I think they're calling it Midian now, but they're going to have the mid price available. So when you see... Uh, the example they used is Moat, and you see the TCG mid price is 700 but the 
market value is only 350 uh, even if you're not really up on finance you can see well that's uh, they're asking 700 but people are only really paying 350 so I probably shouldn't just plunk down $700 on a copy of Moat right now because no one's really paying that. So I think it does help make the system less easily manipulated. Although, as you both said, you can still go on to C TCG Player and buy as many copies of a card as you want, but I think it will be slightly harder to actually manipulate the market in a, a pump-and-dump kind of sense right. with this new price being out there. Yeah, that's really like the biggest takeaway here, and I think we're all kind of in agreement here. And Like I said before I preface everything, it's, it's definitely a net positive. So I, I definitely see... I, I like the strides that are being taken. You just kind of have to look at everything in its context and be like critical like that. So just keep a few things in mind. Uh, but overall, I, I do like the announcement. I kind of like the direction that they're going. So the, the next scam requires a bit more investment. So what you do <laughs> is you, you buy out all the cards, right? And then you list 10 at the new price and you buy 10. So you're going to take, you know, the 10% fee hit. And then because you bought the new price, the market price will stick at the higher price. There you go. Uh, well, I mean, that's a common scam they do on other marketplaces today. So, the end of the day, it's buyer beware. Right? You, you yep. just can't trust uh, whatever number they give you because there's always ways around it. So, you're just going to have to do your due diligence. Let me ask both of you a question while we're on this topic. On Magic Online, a lot of the main bots limit players or one account uh, from yeah. buying more than four copies of a card or eight copies of a card in a 24-hour period. Is that something that should be considered by big paper vendors? I, I think so. I, I've been actually... I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to bring it up at one point or another, especially with everything going on recently. I, I mean, I just think that's just another good way to just kind of eliminate the, these issues and if anything kind of stagger it you're probably still even with that kind of safety net in place you're not going to eliminate it it's still going to happen but it's it might just stagger it a bit so things don't happen as quickly but the the issue i see with that even with the four copy rule is that kind of just I think that kind of just promotes people just band together into like big groups and just do it that way. And that, I don't know how I feel about that either, but I think, I think I would go ahead and like say that that's probably a good idea to uh, start implementing. Stores kind of do the soft version of this today, right? Like we always hear the horror stories of after the pro tour, I bought 20 copies of this card and they canceled my order. Like they, they just look at it and they're like, Hey, this isn't cool, and then they just cancel it. So that's, <laughs> that's like the after-the-fact limit, whereas in most cases, if they're not losing money, they're like, yeah, sure, buy as many as you want, right? And because Moto moves so much faster, the bots do that to protect themselves from losing money. Rather, I, I don't think they're trying to prevent speculators from speculating, right? It's just they don't want to lose all this money because the market moves so fast, whereas the paper world is a bit slower, and usually they can react to, to price adjustments in time, so they don't bother with it. Um, but I don't think the stores are in the interest of policing MTG finance, right? They're just like, yeah, just buy whatever you want. Uh, I just don't want people to feel bad, which is why TCG players not limiting the number. They're just saying, oh, here's a new marketplace. But 
you're free to buy whatever you want because we want the fees. Right. Uh, to to your point, Seth, though, I, I have seen stores start to implement that. So uh, I guess well, some of them do feel it's a good enough idea. I hope it works because it's really annoying trying to buy like 50 Shadowborn Apostles. Yeah. I mean, I know. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, what are you doing? Stop speculating. I'm like, no, I need Shadowborn Apostles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need like 20 Relentless Rats. Please sell me 20. And, it, and in some sense, it can make more sense for a independent vendor because they're going to be able to potentially sell those cards at a higher price if a spike is happening when for tcg in specific they don't actually sell the cards they're just getting a percentage off of other people's sales like ebay so they literally have it would be just horrible for their business for them to implement that why i can see an argument if you're some random uh gaming store with a website where you might not want to get completely bought out of a card that could spike so there could be a a beneficial reason for you to do it but i just don't think that reason is there for tcg in specific right yeah i think that's where i more agree and like kind of where i was going with that i don't i don't blame eba doesn't do it i don't think it would behoove tcg player to do it i mean star city games is really the only one that i think will just let you order whatever you want like as much as you want if they have it like if they have a 50 copies of a card they'll let you buy 50 copies of a card the couple that I've seen, like Car Kingdom for a long time, limits you to eight. So I don't know. I guess certain stores feel the need to do it. Some stores don't. I think just because the sheer volume of stuff Star City Games sells, they don't really care. Like if, if they lose some money on one single, they're making money on another, especially with some of the, how their prices work anyway. So to them, I guess it doesn't really matter. Speaking of buyouts, we, we didn't have this on the docket, but uh, I just remembered it. Last week on Reddit, Twitter, Martin Shkreli. Yeah. Black Lotus. <laughs> Martin Shkreli, the, the guy you saw on the front page of Reddit who, what is it, bought all the patent to to some, some medicine and then increased the price by 5000 And everyone was going on about the LED guy, and they were saying, oh, this guy's the Martin Shkreli of magic. And then, not to be outdone, Mr. Martin Shkreli comes into the subreddit and uh, asks people about buying Black Lotuses. And apparently, he bought some. What, what, is, what is your take on Martin Shkreli and MTG Finance uh, converging here? I don't know. I, I, I was hoping to avoid this. <laughs> and hopefully, like, it would just go away. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there's really... I don't... I'm going to complain. Like I just maybe I just don't like who the per, the guy is just as a person and what he does. But at the on the other end, it's like, what am I really going to do about it? Well, I, anyone can do it. Like anyone can buy magic cards. Anyone can play the game. So really, why am I complaining about it? I it doesn't really do anything. At the end of the day, yeah, I think it looks like now with a bit of uh, hindsight that the Screlly thing is probably more of him seeking attention and yeah. somewhat trolling the community than something serious where he's going to keep buying out magic cards or anything. But the bigger deal is this could happen for real. Like for someone yeah. that is used to doing business deals and used to throwing around hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in investments – if they wanted to, you could go in and buy out TCG Player and buy out Star City Games of every reserve list card for what is comparatively a small amount of money compared to yeah. real-life business deals. So even though I don't think that's what this actually ended up being, and it was more of 
a troll and it got everyone in a frenzy and got on the national news and all this stuff uh, that could happen. And it wouldn't be that surprising if some someone with a lot of money decided that reserve list cards were a good investment and actually carried out that plan. Yeah, and, and I think like really that's just what that's what happens when you have an unregulated market. I mean, there's no one stopping anyone. Like you said, Seth. I mean, you said it perfectly. It might not be Martin Shkreli. Maybe he really is trolling. Maybe he's not. I don't know. I don't really care to be honest. It's not going to stop him. It, it could definitely not stop the next person from just throwing around millions of dollars because why not? They have it, and just buy up anything they really want. And I think the scary thing is for a lot of people is. Not only just for the people that it's going to attract, like because obviously there's some is- like back end issues with this guy Martin Screlly. If you don't know, you should probably just go Google it and make the determination or judgment for yourself. It's just the people that it might attract because of the unregulated market, and you're just absolutely right. There's the thing, the scary thing is just there's nothing anyone can do about it. Really, literally nothing anyone could do about someone doing that as a business opportunity. You know, you get upset, like I voice my concern, it kind of sucks. Really, at the end of the day, there's nothing anyone could do about it. So, I mean, what what am I really going to say? Yeah, I, I think the scary thing was the comments he was making, and he was trolling, right? And realistically, magic cards are a terrible investment. No one's going to invest in magic cards, because if you had that kind of money, uh, you want better returns. But what he could actually do, because he's just trolling and because he has disposable income, he could just spend a million dollars, buy all the underground seas, and burn them. Right? Like, no underground seas for you guys. And then just sit there and bask in the glory as Reddit explodes and, like, everyone goes crazy, right? And and that's trolling, right? And that's what I, I was like, oh, geez, he can just he can just wipe the market of these things and that's it, right? There, there's legacy, right? That's done. So that was more of the scary thing rather than the, yes, let me invest in, in I don't know, black lotuses and, and make a 10% return. Like, I think he has a better thing to do at this time. But just trolling the community and removing any one of our staples, like, permanently from circulation uh, is, is kind of scary. And uh, it would definitely force Wizard's hand. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what would happen in that scenario. But... You know, we're playing with 15-year-old pieces of cardboard. They are fragile, and they could disappear at any time. On the other hand, if the card he chose was Polar Kraken, that would uh, <laughs> that would probably be all right. That's it's fine. Soul Separator. Soul yeah. Separator. <laughs> yeah, Polar Kraken. I-, I think that's okay. But no, Richard raised a great point. Would he do that, or would anyone else do that? Probably not, but it could happen if he really wanted to and really draw attention to himself. That's just the kind of the issue when someone comes in like this, unregulated market, especially, not not just that it's unregulated, there's a list of cars that you're telling me that are never going to get any more circulation or any more supply? Thank you. Like, I'm just going to keep buying every Black Lotus. Everyone has a price. Okay, I I pay someone 10000 instead of 5000 Like, who cares? Like, I have all the Black Lotuses now. What I determine a Black Lotus is, it will be. Like, just like my pill. <laughs> you know, like if I decide tomorrow I want to jack this up to thousand percent, what are you guys going to do about it? Like nothing. So it's just a really scary. I guess everyone just is kind of in a craze and uh, feel bad situation just because of who the person is. But I don't know. Like I said, it's just uh, nothing anyone could do about it. 
but you you guys both raised some good questions. I really don't know what to say other than that. I mean, it's Martin Shkreli. Like, I don't know. He, he likes to draw attention to himself. I don't know why he wouldn't be just trying to lay low, but <laughs> who knows? I don't know. All right, so let's move on to Fishmail. It's Fishmail time. From Garth C. Why is it called Fishmail? Is this referring to fish scales? Could fish mail also be scale mail? Oh, scale mail is cool. I don't know what to say to that. Yes. Yeah, I think it was like within the first 10 podcasts that we did this and we wanted to keep the theme of like MTG goldfish. So we kind of just thought up of fish mail and it kind of just worked. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna need a new logo with a full set of uh, armor, <laughs> dragon bone made armor. out of envelopes. Nope, dragon bone. Nope, none of this. <laughs> Shivan dragon bone. Uh, yeah. Mean mean pork. Time to plant your flag in the sand. Now that the set is spoiled, what is the most underrated card that will see the most standard play? Call it now so you can take credit later. Standard play. I'm gonna go last. <laughs> I'll go second. I want Seth to go, go first. Seth. All right. Well, well, I I will go first, and I know mine. And I wish it didn't specifically say standard, but I think it still works. But I think the most underrated card in the set is Splendid Reclamation. I think that card is going to be absolutely busted. I think it could be very good in standard. And I expect it to be very good in modern as well. So that's my pick for the most underrated card in the set. Good choice. All right, Richard. I'm still thinking. Hold on. Because all, all right. the cards I think are good are actually really good and no one underrates them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's like kind of like what's making this hard is that I don't think anyone's underrating any card. But I think one, like, and this came up as we were doing the set review, actually, if we want to talk underrated, maybe it's just not underrated, but no one's really talking about it, is the equipment, the Stitcher's Graft. Like, that thing is really scary. It's pretty good for its mana cost and equip cost, and a lot of good stuff has Vigilance already, so it's like a free plus three plus three, like, all the time, and you could just move it to any creature you want because it's like they already have Vigilance. Sylvan Advocate has Vigilance. You have Always Watching gets everything Vigilance. I, I think it's going to be a lot scarier than I think we give, are going to give it credit for. All right. I found my card. Even though we don't really underrate it here on the podcast, uh, Ishkana, I'm calling oh. it Green Lingering Souls. Green Lingering Souls. <laughs> yeah. like right here. Like, literally Lingering Souls. And people will actually play a spider and block Avacyn and Gisela. <laughs> Just like, oh, a spider? Awesome. That's exactly what I wanted. So Green Lingering Souls will will be played. Yeah, I, we definitely don't underrate that card. Most, most people are just that like, card. that's for EDH. Yeah, whatever. But. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Good choice. From at 3-3-Beast, I want the all-foil zombie tokens for my mono-black EDH deck. What should I value them at for trade at my pre-release? Now, they're double-sided in foil, right? Yes. I believe okay. that is the case. You wrote an article about this, Seth, like about tokens and stuff. Like, how rare does the token need to be? Like, if it's, I mean, this these even with them just being a pre-release handout, like these days they're probably still going to be a good amount of them. I don't know. Would you say like probably no more than like three bucks? 
Yeah, it takes a lot for a token to be much more than that. Uh, that's obviously part of it is how rare it is. And another part of it is, uh, do people actually want this token? I mean, we have right now the Hell Vault uh, token, right. which was from a pre-release. I believe it was also foil, perhaps. And it's like 39 cents. So uh, no one really needs that token for anything. On the other hand, zombies are pretty popular. Tokens... Uh, there's a lot of zombies that make them in EDH and maybe even in standard some will see play. So th- uh, they do seem like the kind of token that if, uh, like this person that sent us the fish mail, if you want them for your zombie EDH deck, you're probably going to need 20 of them or something, a pretty large amount. But I still think that it, probably more than two or three, maybe absolutely highest end $5 would probably be as high as it goes. And I would shoot for the the lower end of uh, yeah. the scale as far as trading for them at pre-release until we kind of see what the market looks like. The good news is everyone at pre-release is going to get one and most people probably aren't going to have use for them. So even if you don't pick up all that you need at pre-release, I bet you'll be able to find people to trade uh, from over the next month after the pre-release event. Yeah. I think if, yeah, I'd probably say like two or three would be my personal max and get as many as for two as I possibly could. Yeah, I also think nowadays people don't value the the Wizards tokens as highly. I right. know before there weren't that many token options, so the the ones that Wizards produce are the best tokens you can get. But nowadays, everyone makes custom tokens. And I, I don't mean like sitting at home making them, but I mean like actual like stores producing tokens that are high quality. And a lot of people, you know, like the original Magic Art tokens or whatever, or the token series from the various artists. So I feel the value of tokens has gone down over time, and I feel that most people are more than willing to part with their zombie token. So you can probably get them uh, on the cheap, and I and I wouldn't overvalue them. I would just wait, and people will probably just like naturally try to get rid of them. Sure. At Tom Simmons, thought experiment. If Tabernacle was printed in Chronicles and... Blood Moon was on the reserve list instead of vice versa. What would their prices be? Oh. Here's the problem with this question is if Blood Moon was on the reserve list, that would automatically mean it wasn't modern legal and instead it would just be a fringe legacy card. Fair enough. Uh, Which, if Blood Moon was printed uh, in the same numbers as Tabernacle, I would expect it would be very expensive because Tabernacle is admittedly a fringe card in legacy and uh, uh cubes and so forth so i would expect it to be the same but if blood moon was printed in uh revised or something or in the dark still it was we only had the dark but it was on the reserve list i think that it would be significantly less expensive a hundred dollars 150 dollars 200 dollars because you're losing out on all that modern demand and the supply of the dark is actually pretty high for an old set fair enough yeah i agree with that at thunderbucks 7 busted my first expedition land marsh flats 90 dollars now sounds nice will white black help or hurt its future price when it comes to expeditions i think they're kind of in their own right like a collectors thing like they don't i don't really foresee them doing expeditions for quite some time if not ever again so in terms of just the expedition i i think it's okay to just hold on to them for whenever you need to and if you need the 90 dollars now obviously you can sell it 
Yeah, I, I'll go with Chaz on this. And I will say that White Black is probably uh, definitely on the lower end right. of the demand scale for fetch lands. But as an expedition, if you're collecting expeditions, you're going to want Marsh Flats along with all the other ones as well. All right. Next from at Jeff Cox Matko. Is Spell Queller the final piece to make UW Spirits a competitive standard deck? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> uh, well, I think... Oh, my God. I'm forgetting the card name now. What's the one drop? Mausoleum Wanderer. Mausoleum Maus- Wanderer. Yes, thank you. Mausoleum Wanderer. I think Spell Queller is a big deal, but Mausoleum Wanderer might even be a bigger deal. Uh, we talked about this, actually, in our set review, which hasn't gone up yet, but those cards have a really good track record. We had Judges Familiar, which won multiple Pro Tours and didn't <laughs> have any Tribal Synergy. We have Curse Catcher, which is still a modern staple. So I think Mausoleum Wanderer is arguably just as big of a deal for the spirit stack although spell queller is actually really good sweet yeah i i'm totally agreeing with seth here i mean just you have so many different tools is spell queller can we point at spell queller and say this is the exact reason i guess but it's still just the so many different tools that we got in particular in eldritch moon along with spell queller that if i think if we just got spell queller i don't think it would have quite been enough because here's the thing about the blue-white spirits deck. Uh, random, like, blue-red or blue-white flyers decks with no tribal synergies, without Mausoleum Wander, without Spell Queller, are already tournament viable. They're, like, yep. tier two, but they have 5-0 dailies. They do occasionally put up good finishes. Like, they're playable decks without any of the stuff that eldritch moon gives to it so for me that's the the biggest vote of confidence they just line up so well against the top tier decks in the format which really don't have good ways of blocking they're skimping on a removal so i think because random blue red flyers with flash is already a real deck in standard i don't know why blue white spirits with all the additional power wouldn't be I'm going to go against the grain here. I was so excited for Spell Queller and Mausoleum Wanderer. I tried to brew up a modern spirits deck. And it was basically a standard spirits deck with Linger for Souls <laughs> and Skull Captain. And it just looked really bad. Like, the reason Judges Familiar was so good was it gave you uh, devotion. And it gave you uh, protection. Like, you can save your Night Veil Spectre, which is like super duper devotion. Whereas here, you have a bunch of one-power and two-power dinky flying creatures, and they're going to get stuffed. Like, there's no lord to, to pump them up. There, there's no counterspell you're going to hold to bluff and then, like, flash in rattle chains. So, I don't know. It just feels like a bunch of underpowered creatures. It feels like fairies without, like, any of the special abilities. <laughs> so, it's just like, uh, okay. They're like, okay, you hit me with your 2-1. I'll hit you with my 4-6 advocate. Right, and you're gonna lose the trade. So that's that's my super expert opinion. After writing down the deck list for like two minutes of looking at it, it's just there's there's no <laughs> lore. There's there's nothing. Right, humans are casting Thalia's lieutenant, always watching and just growing humongous, and you're pinging them with a one one mausoleum wanderer and a one one topplegeist or something. Right, it's I I don't know. It's just I hope it works. I hope Spellcaller is strong enough, but it just seems like underpowered flyers at this point. Yeah, I normally agree with you. I, I think this is where like Ishkana comes in that might be a little more scary. But yeah, realistically, there is really nothing that blocks flying. So there, yeah, there are one ones and two ones and stuff like that. Like, 
we see we've seen dimensional infiltrator just rattle chains like you said seth just two ones and just no tribal synergy whatsoever just like two ones with flash with flying and that's just been good enough because they're essentially unblocked you just race on the ground right you're just like well i'll play my two one human my two two human pump them twice and like you're dead right you can't you can't block so it'll be interesting and like maybe you can nab a archangel avison with your spell crawler or something for the blowouts uh having counter spell is definitely nice so we'll we'll see how it goes but you know if they if they slam down that green lingering souls (laughs) all of your spirits (laughs) are gonna get blocked and killed Yeah, after the podcast, Richard, you need to post that spirits list because I am very intrigued about what you came up with. It sounds awesome. It was terrible. I could tell you the list right now. Because if if you fill it up with Rattle Chains, Bell Queller, and the Mausoleum, you don't have much spots left. So you can either go uh, Geist of St. Traff, who's also a spirit. You can go Drogskel Captain. And then you put in a couple counter spells and a couple vapor snags or something, and like that's it. That's that's the whole deck list. And you're like, this is so underpowered. Hey, flashing in Geist of Saint Trav seems pretty cool. I don't know what you would flash him in for, but the, the most interesting <laughs> lists I've seen are uh, what's that spirit that lets you tutor for an enchantment when you cast a spirit or arcane spell? I forgot what that's called. Talowisp. Talon Wisp. Yeah, yeah. Talowisp. So, there's decks built with that. And uh, Disrupting Shoal, which is also an arcane spell. And just, like, Enchantment Toolbox. And uh, you, you basically cast Geist St. Traft, and you get that... Oh, what is that? The, the white-blue spell? Or oh, Enchantment? Shield, shield of Godhead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that gives your, your Geist, like, 4-4 four, four first strike lifelink. <laughs> so it's like these weird things, right? It's not really a tempo deck anymore. It's some kind of weird combo card advantage deck. And... I, I gave up after all this. I'm like, I'm just going to cast a Tarmogoyf <laughs> and hit you in the face. <laughs> but I, I really want to make a tempo deck in Modern that's not Jeskai tempo. Yeah, makes sense. From at Scuttlebones, a rule of thumb is to buy packs for fun and never for profit. Does this apply to popper-only players? I think it applies to everyone. Yeah, as a popper player, you have even less incentive to buy packs, right? Because you can buy your commons for 25 cents or you can... Yeah, I I agree with you. I do not understand why being a pauper player would make you want to buy packs. It's just so easy to get commons. If you want a bunch of commons, probably the best thing to do is look on your local Craigslist and find someone that's willing to sell you bulk cards for $4, 1000 or something, and you can get so many commons if that's what you're looking for. But if you want specific ones, you got to order the singles, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you want commons from the new set, I would just look at your local game store and check when the draft is and show up <laughs> at the end of round three, right? People will leave their decks all over the place. They will take the rares out of their prize packs and just throw the rest away. So you can grab all the commons and uncommons. Like, I know during Innistrad, I got, like, 20 Lingering Souls just from grabbing, like, the, the jank people left over, right? Yeah. So it, for definitely for the new sets, you can just go show up and pick up people's bulk. Most people won't care for those cards. From at Corbin G Dog sixty nine, hold cell mythics from Eternal Masters, uh, Mana Crypt Foil Natural Order. Do we expect them to recycle in a possible Eternal Masters two? If they do, I don't think there's going to be going to be an Eternal Masters anytime soon. So I. Th- think you're okay with holding on to them for a while but 
I just think at this point, like, with even if it was a limited printing, like a master set, I mean, I th- we talked about this. I think, Seth, you brought this up, too. It's like, how many people need a Mana Crypt? Like, yes, it was a limited printing, but realistically, this printing still handed out a ton of these cards that were, it's like, cards like Mana Crypt, a cer- certain other cards that were kind of fringe. I mean, they're powerful, but still kind of fringe. They now suddenly have all the supply. It might take quite a long time for them to rebound. Yeah, I think I would say that you're fine holding them, though. Like, it yeah. probably will take a while, but I wouldn't think we'd get another Eternal Masters for at least two years and possibly way longer than that. I think two years would be the earliest. And there's not really any guarantee those cards would show back up again. So even if there is another Eternal Masters, which we don't know for sure, there's a reasonable chance that it would not have Mana Crypt or Natural Order. So I would look to hold for about a year, potentially, which is where we saw Modern Masters really start to take off and Modern Masters 2015. And if you don't start to see uh, positive gains by that point, then maybe just cut ties and say, all right, forget it. This is going to take too long. There's too much supply. But So I would wait for a year and reevaluate at that point. And that's still way shorter than the potential next eternal masters time frame so you're safe most likely from a reprint unless there's some random promo or something right i don't know seth they probably will recycle a lot of these i, I it looks like they clearly ran out of ideas with the basic land cycle so <laughs> <laughs> maybe they might just regurgitate everything at the set again because why not right <laughs> i i think they if they do another one i would expect some reprints i don't know about uh, I don't think it would be that many, though. I would expect it to be like Modern Masters, where we sure. get Goifs and Clicks and Bobs, but uh, is Mana Crypt one of those cards? It could be. Is Natural Order? Not necessarily. I think Natural Order would probably find a replacement, but we just really don't know. Predicting reprints is really yeah. impossible. Yeah, the if they were to bring back a card, I would think it would be uh, Force of Will kind of like the iconic card like Tarmogoyf was the iconic card and everyone loves the new art uh, last question this sounds weird but I did not plant this <laughs> the Chad USMC please explain some of the tools on MTG Goldfish and how each of you utilize them you know those memes where like uh, a sports player gets suspended and they said for they signed a one day contract <laughs> <laughs> with the sunglasses and his mustache like i did not write this <laughs> uh this is a weird question i don't know how to answer it uh i think the, the feature i actually use the most i use all the features otherwise it wouldn't be there but the <laughs> the the new deck search i added recently uh you can search by cards yeah uh, so I, I like to find weird jank cards like the other day i was searching hooting mandrills uh, who plays this in modern? <laughs> I was trying to find a Hooting Mandrills deck in modern after I, I gave up with my Spirits deck. <laughs> so I like searching my, my cards and seeing uh, which decks uh, actually use them. Yeah, I think that's really a great feature, and it's one that I use all the time, too. Like, sometimes like it, it stores so many more decks than like when you're looking through uh, just like the recent plays, like the 5-0s for like the MTGO dailies, it stores so much more when you just 
type in a specific card, it'll have a like a, a deck from like a couple months ago. And I use that all the time to like just find these weird decks that I've I saw like a couple weeks back or a while ago. And you just type in one if you can remember one of the cards, it will likely spit out the deck. So I think that's just really a great feature. Yeah, I use a lot of the different tools. Uh, yep. I guess I use the metagame and format staples. Oh yeah, lists a lot for brewing decks. That's uh, a a lot of brewing a good deck or a passable deck. I guess is uh, knowing what everyone else in the format is doing, and those pages help a ton with that. I use the individual card pages to check things uh, like spreads and multipliers as far as financial stuff. It gives you a really good idea. To some extent, like a first glance of what a card might do in the future. If there's a really low spread, there's probably a reason for that. If there's a really high spread, there's also a reason. Uh, it gives you kind of warnings of things to dig into deeper. And I also use the collection management tools. Uh, there was a time when I had my entire Magic Online collection in a spreadsheet that I would maintain by hand and update the prices of to try to keep track of how much value I had in my collection. And then I started using Goldfish, and I can just import my entire collection. It keeps track of all the price changes for me. I can delete cards if I trade them away, add cards easily. So those are the things that I use most often. Yeah, I, I think the metagame and the the most played cards in the meta are is is super super valuable. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. All right, thanks. The Chad USMC, we did not plant that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was not some weird promotional fish mail piece. That was a real question. <laughs> uh, that's all the fish mail, yeah. All right, sweet questions. Thanks, everyone, uh, for sending those in. We will get to them as we can every single week. So I think that about wraps things up, uh, gentlemen. Any kind of final thoughts about anything? Pre-release coming up. Yeah, pre-release. Enjoy the this. By the time we talk to you all next time, it that would have happened. So we like to hear all your pre-release stories. If you want to send those in to like fish mail or something like that, it would be awesome to see some of your experiences at pre-release. It would be really cool. I want to see the first foil melded. Brazella oh. in a limited event. Yeah, that <laughs> like, would be awesome. Not only did you get a foil Gisela, you got a foil <laughs> Bruna, and you somehow cast both and killed your opponent with it. Yeah, and we need to see the first half foil Brazella just for <laughs> Richard. <laughs> hey, limited, I can understand that, but if you bring that to a constructed tournament, you should just be automatically DQ'd. You're like, where's your DCI number? We're removing it immediately. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you for your time. This has been an awesome cast, as always. So we will see you all next time. This is the crew signing out.